Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Here with uh, just Mike right now, but Ben will be joining us soon. Uh, Mike, we haven't talked to you yet since Sunday night. And I just got to ask, how are you doing? Just, you know, person to person. I'm fine. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's more of the, uh, now how the Vikings doing? Not great. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I, we, you and I talked for the daily delivery podcast on Tuesday and I've, you know, Royce and I, Royce and I covered a lot of ground on the, the game on, on Monday show too, but you know, it's just, you get that opportunity where Dak Prescott isn't playing and you, you need to win that game. It's just, it sets up for you so nicely and you just, you can't take advantage of that. So I imagine what seems to be happening right now is there's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of frustration and you're closer to it than I am. And maybe you can speak to some of what was said on Wednesday here, even, or what wasn't said, but it, it, it does feel like the leadership group of this team is feeling a certain amount of frustration right now with, with the direction. And I don't, I can't say I blame them because it feels like the talent that's on this team is, is worthy of more than what they've been able to show so far this year is how I put it. Yeah. And I think people around the team would kind of agree with that, which is why there's that frustration over being three and four. And you bring up the, yeah, we talked about the Dallas game, Cooper rush, that blown opportunity to win a home game against a guy who'd never started before. And you can't even do that. Mike Zimmer has to know his job, even if he doesn't think it should be, has to be close to being in jeopardy at this point, because this team is much better than a three and four record. They, they have talent on both sides of the ball to be much better. And you see for the third straight week, Mike, let's talk about just the defense right now for the third straight week, they give up a late touchdown and this time to lose the game. They had won games against Detroit and Carolina doing that. They didn't this time. And I don't know how you can sit there and say, this is a good defense as Mike Zimmer read off the stats of them being you know, first in sacks and, you know, X and third downs, whatever. Mike, how can you say it's a good defense? Like Mike Zimmer's saying, when you've been blowing these leads and giving up late scores to, to really bad quarterbacks the way they have. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, statistically, I think he's, he's right. Like, you know, pro football focus and football outsiders still think this is a pretty good defense statistically, but this is a league where you need to be able like, it's becoming, it's almost becoming like the NBA to a certain degree where the last half of the fourth quarter is, is where all these games are decided now. And if you can't get a stop when you need to make a stop and they've, I've, I've kind of calculating it in my head and I've written this before. I think that was the fifth time this season that they've given up either a go ahead or tying score in the fourth quarter or overtime. Um, and, you know, like you said, magnified by the fact that it's happened three weeks in a row. Like you said, two of them, the offense bailed them out. This time they didn't have enough time, essentially, or, you know, and, and whatever time they had left, didn't use it very wisely, needed a touchdown, which was a tall, a tall task to, uh, to, to go with, too. Couldn't even, you know, couldn't even get off the field when they had him at third and 16. Then it got to third and 11 and still had two chances to tackle Ezekiel Elliott short of that first down, which would have forced you know, a field goal, a, a tie game. So um, I think the tension with Zimmer is probably, you know, a thinking that 
His defense is is still good, which you know the numbers do support, but also probably realizing that they're in a world of hurt now with Patrick Peterson still out for at least a couple more games. Daniil Hunter now out for the season. He's lost his best corner and his best pass rusher um, now that they're into the really tough part of their schedule. And it's going to be hard to slow anybody down. I mean, if it was, if they were having a hard time stopping Detroit and Carolina when it mattered most with Patrick Peterson, at least in that initial game on the field and Daniel Hunter out there and having them for most of the season, uh, imagine trying to stop Lamar Jackson, Justin, uh, Justin Herbert, and uh, presumably Aaron Rodgers, as long as he's back from the COVID list, uh, without some of those guys, at least with at least without Daniil Hunter. Yeah, let's talk about the loss of Daniil Hunter. Um, ben had reported Sunday night he had heard the progno- initial prognosis was not good. I believe he broke the news Monday morning that indeed they feared it was a torn pec. It was. He's done for the year. Second time in, in as many years that he's had to go on IR after coming back from that next surgery. And it's a really tough blow for him personally as a guy who's so talented and is in the prime of his career at age 25 with a neck injury last year, 26 this year with this injury, um, really just destroying some of his years where he should be, you know, destroying quarterbacks with the way that he wants to be. Um, that said, that injury does so much more to the defense than it does just individually to Daniel Hunter. Cause everybody expects Hunter will get this surgery, come back just fine. Um, but this defense might not come back the same. It might not come back with the head coach in part because of that injury. And so how do they move on? You've got DJ Wanham, you've got Kenny Willekes, you've got Everson Griffin, whom they wanted to keep in a rotational role when they realized he was so much better than DJ Wanham, they couldn't do it. And now that they're without Daniil, there's no way you're going to limit Everson's reps. And then, oh, by the way, yeah, like you said, you're without Patrick Peterson. So Mike, I think all of Zimmer's fears from the summer when he talked about this is a top heavy roster. We're all about our stars. That does concern me. I think all those fears have been kind of realized so far with these two, with these two injuries, especially. Yeah. I mean, these are two of the people they just absolutely couldn't afford to lose on defense. You know, they were out without Michael Pierce um, in, in that game as well. And I think he was back practicing Wednesday. So we'll see kind of what, uh, what his status is for Sunday's game, getting him back would at least help, a run defense that has been unreliable this season and that they had hoped would be shored up. But yeah, I mean, you saw, you saw what happened to the pass rush last year without Daniel Hunter. It was not good. It just wasn't consistent. You know, they, you know, they tried to, they tried to, to shore it up at the beginning of the year with Ngakwe and yeah, he had a, you know, he had a few sacks, but it wasn't really the same kind of consistent production. And, you know, Hunter is pretty good, in the run game as well. So you, you just, you, it's going to be a pretty steep step down. And oh, by the way, uh, you traded Stephen Weatherly before the trade deadline, who would have been nice depth to have right now, even if he's not the world's, you know, biggest star, even if he's not a Daniil Hunter replacement. He's a guy you know who's in your system, a veteran who you kind of inexplic- inexplicably traded maybe as a favor to him. And now you can sure use him. Yeah, Mike Zimmer did mention today the trade deadline came and went Tuesday of this week. Mike Zimmer said we tried to make some moves, but it didn't work out. Um, No inkling yet on what kind of moves they were trying to make, but I do wonder if they were in the market for some kind of pass rush after that, because you're exactly right. that This fell apart on them when they deal um, Weatherly, thinking, you know what, we were only playing them 7 to 10 snaps anyway. We might as well give those snaps to some of our younger guys. Maybe that'll help develop them. Uh, And then the top falls out completely when the biggest Jenga piece gets taken out and Daniel Hunter from this lineup. And yeah, and you bring up the end of the Cowboys game 
it's Anthony Barr missing that tackle. One of the guys who bounces off of Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, the stars that were still playing were not playing up to the level that we're used to seeing or making those splash plays, those impact plays. And now that you're missing the guys like Hunter who were making those plays, I just don't know where this defense goes from here because it is sound. It is disciplined. Like you'd mentioned, Mike, they're, they're, the whole picture isn't so bad on defense. They're only, they still only gave up 20 points on Sunday night. Um, before that, they, they obviously have been keeping the, the water level pretty low for the offense. So it speaks to the issues they've got on offense that they still have to overcome, speaks to the issues on special teams that seem to rear their head, its ugly head, at the worst possible moment for this team. So going into Baltimore on Sunday, it seems like just about the worst time to make this trip. But as you said, Michael Pierce returned to practice on Wednesday of this week. Uh, Andre Patterson said today as well that they hope they can have him back for Sunday. That would be huge because if you can, the only way you win this game is if you do what Cincinnati did not too long ago and you find a way to shut down that running game. Um, because Lamar Jackson, for as good as he is, dynamic as he is as a player, um, he's got some of those like Josh Allen inconsistencies or inaccuracies to his game where that ball will sail on him. He'll miss open throws. Um, that was brought up by Vikings coaches today. We, we asked him about, hey, what did the Bengals do to really slow them down? And can you learn anything from that? And one of the first things they said was, well, Lamar just missed some throws. Otherwise, that game would have maybe taken on a different life. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting game, Mike. And it's going to start, obviously, with that run game and, and a really unique running game in Baltimore where the Vikings this week are preparing to stop like options and triple options that you might see at like Navy or Army. And you see them in the NFL with Baltimore. Yeah, and that's a that's a whole different set of challenges for them. And whether or not Pierce plays or not, even when he was healthy, this run defense wasn't great this year. You know, they and you know maybe the way Baltimore tries to move the ball will mean the Vikings would be in their kind of base defense a little bit more, not kind of rotating guys in for you know situational type pass rushes and then getting burned on you know quick plays and you know hurry ups after after passes into runs. Um, so we'll see how they try to defend it, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's, you know, Baltimore can beat you a lot of different ways. And if Baltimore can control the ball and, you know, chew up clock and get five or six yards on a lot of those carries, that's, it's pretty demoralizing to lose that way. And will really make the margin for error for the Vikings offense that much thinner. And that offense has not been great um, when going up against good defenses. Yeah, and we saw it in the Cleveland game, right? That the, That's what it looks like when it goes south against a running team, where I think Cleveland there in the first half milked like nine minutes of the second quarter and scored like within the two-minute mark just before halftime. But it was like some kind of weird, ridiculous 15-play drive where your offense can't get out there and get in a rhythm. I mean, that's that's what the Vikings want to do to opponents, and they haven't been able to do it. Is it is it as flabbergasting to you, I guess, as everybody else it would seem, that this Vikings running game, they have an NFL low two touchdowns on the ground two, like that's ridiculous for a team that prides itself on, on running the football. Yeah. As someone who has Dalvin cook in a fantasy league, it's especially <laughs> troubling to me, but to, yeah, I mean, just joking aside, nobody cares about your fantasy team. Um, it, it is, it's, it's, it's strange. I mean, it, it does speak to, you know, they've, they've been pretty efficient throwing the ball in the red zone and getting it in that way. But I, I think you and I even talked about on, on the daily delivery podcast on Tuesday, just, their running identity right now is a little bit off kilter. Doesn't you know? Maybe they're doing. Maybe they're trying a few too many things, and you know, guys are missing some blocks, missing assignments, and you know, maybe they need to get a little bit more basic in their running game so that they're not having those problems anymore. But you know, it does seem like they're 
they're having some some issues with you know with with getting that going, especially when they need it the most, and you know falling behind the chains, getting you know trying a couple runs in a row, and then it's third and five, and you're like, well, you know that seems like it's somewhat manageable, but if you don't make that, it's a three and out. Like it seems like they go three and out a lot, and I I was trying to look up their three and out stats, I didn't find them, but I I feel like they're they're high up there right now. Yeah, I like to go to Football Outsiders is a great one for that. And I actually did look that up this morning because I've been keeping that up every week. They were second to last in three and out rate in terms of they were meaning they were going three and out second most in the NFL. Um, It's now fourth most. So after last week, they made a slight improvement. How did Um, they make a slight improvement? They were like one for 13 on third down last week. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with sometimes they get a penalty where that counts yeah. as an extra play, and so it's not okay. technically a three and out if it's a four and out or something like that. So um, it, it, the numbers can get skewed a little bit. But point is, like, dr- p- plays per drive, those kinds of stats that show your longevity, time of possession, it, it's not great in the Vikings' favor right now in large part because they just can't stay on the field. They're not sustaining drives, the third down issues you brought up. But a lot of it is because their runs are just failing on first downs. They're, they're not gaining yardage. Like we just saw a Cowboys offense that was number one in the NFL on yards on, on first down, whether it was run or pass. It was like nine yards per pass on first down and like five yards per run. Like if you can just chalk that in on average for your first downs, you're going to be facing such great second and third downs that this Vikings team never faces. And everybody asks, why do they always run? on second and long. It's because this team is not built to be in third and long situations. So you try to take what you can get, which in a second and long is facing a six man box and hope maybe we can get a five yard run. And maybe it's only a third and seven. Like it's this kind of mentality of they know this offense is not built to, to pass the ball, to drop back and shotgun this offensive line. Certainly Mike, we talked about it on daily delivery on Tuesday, but I thought that was one of the worst games I'd seen from Ezra Cleveland at left guard and Garrett Bradbury was, was just as bad. It, that interior O-line got destroyed and it wasn't just Randy Gregory from the outside and against the tackles. It was their inside guys that are making life really hard. And when this offense goes south, it is often because the interior line is getting caved in and we just, we see it over and over And that was part of the run game issues. When Dalvin Cook gets met literally by both defensive tackles on on a play in the third quarter where they blew up Ezra Cleveland, Derisaw, and Bradbury, they couldn't combo block one guy. Bradbury gets blown up by the other guy. And Dalvin's tackle for loss of two. There's nothing the NFL's best running back. It doesn't matter who you are. There's nothing you can do in those situations. No, and it's it shows up on both sides of the ball. And I think they've they've been even worse in pass blocking. I think after our segment the other day, I looked it up. Bradbury is dead last among qualified centers in pass blocking grade right now, 31 out of 31. Um, I think Cleveland and Ole Udo were both in the forties out of 60. So like they don't, everybody in that position group in that middle of the line is below average in terms of pass blocking right now, at least according to what pro football focus says. And they've had their better games. We've talked about that. We've given them their due when they've had better games, but I keep coming back to this point that something is not fixed if it keeps breaking when you need it the most. Like it, it, this line is not solved when they still can't handle a bigger, more physical front that can get pressure with four. And you know, there's going to keep seeing that over and over again. Even Green Bay's defense looks like it's it's rounding into shape right now and, and held you know, held Arizona in in pretty well check the other day. It's it's like they're they're not going to. The, the tests are not getting easier. Let's put it that way, both from a quarterback standpoint and probably from a defensive standpoint. 
They are really not because after the Ravens game, as you mentioned, they have the Chargers coming up and then it's a home game against the Packers when presumably Aaron Rodgers will be off the COVID list by then. Wow. (laughs) I left a Mike Zimmer press conference on Wednesday morning thinking um, that was bizarre because of just Zimmer's um, just Zimmer being Zimmer. But then you walk away from that and see the news that Aaron Rodgers is missing the game because of a positive COVID test. And meaning he's unvaccinated, despite him telling the media in the summer that he was vaccinated. Uh, Mike, who would have thought Kirk Cousins wouldn't have been the most popular unvaccinated quarterback in the division? No, no. He said he was immunized. That was the difference. That was his his attempt. He flat out lied because he was asked directly, are you vaccinated? And he decided to say his first word was, yeah. And then he pivoted to say, "I'm, I'm immunized. Right. And, you know, the, the, the story coming out from NFL media, I think, is that he tried some sort of homeopathic remedy to boost his immunity and tried to get that cleared with the NFL as if that was the same thing as being vaccinated. And they said no. And so they've basically considered him unvaccinated. And, you know, the, the thing that really should bother you if you're, you know, just even if you even if you don't like the Packers, like even if you do like the Packers, it should bother you that he essentially lied about this, that he's put the health of anybody he's come in contact with in jeopardy because they presume that this is a vaccinated player that they're, that they're dealing with. And that's, you know, that's, that's just the unfortunate thing. And, you know, like I, I tweeted earlier, like everything that you said about Kirk Cousins, everything that I've said about Kirk Cousins, which is not particularly flattering with his stance on being vaccinated and not him says on not being vaccinated. He's at least been honest about it. I don't agree with it, but Aaron Rodgers' level of dishonesty about that is, is probably the most troubling part of this. Well, Kirk has never come out and said he's not vaccinated. No, but he's never said he's never tried to pretend that he is true that. Yeah. Yes. At least you can say he didn't try to put on some ruse uh, and, and use a, a, a funny you know, word and inoculated or whatever it was that um, to say that he was imply that he was vaccinated. And clearly, he was trying to imply it would seem that that Rogers that he had had it before, which he would maybe come across as being um, what was the word he used? Immunized, immunized. I'm immunized. Yeah, maybe he just thought natural immunization was was going to be enough. But that was a response to a direct question about being vaccinated. And he yes. decided to mislead everybody with that. And then he was asked, or at least some explanation afterward, he had described about doing his own research before making that decision. And obviously, he didn't detail what that decision was. But either way, this is the this is the bomb that Vikings fans are worried about going in, going off. And obviously, you, you care about the guy's personal well-being and hope he's going to be all right first and foremost. But from a football perspective, this is why Mike Zimmer was wringing his hands throughout the entire summer when his, his quarterback wouldn't get vaccinated. It's because this can happen. It can, it can happen at any point to any quarterback who's not or any player who's not based on what the NFL rules are for this virus. So uh, it's just wild. It's wild. And it's it's crazy because there's no guarantee of when Rodgers is going to come back. And now they're bringing Blake Bortles back to be the backup behind Jordan Love. And what if this is the start of the Jordan Love era, as it were? I, I doubt it is, but you never know. I um, doubt it is, too. I mean, this will probably make Rodgers look even better by comparison because Love, they'll get they'll get clobbered by the Chiefs. And you, But you're right. I mean, because if, if he really isn't vaccinated, which is the story that's being reported right now, he's got to miss at least 10 days, right, when he's on the COVID list. And so there's you know, depending on the timing, depending on everything, it's not a guarantee that he'd be able to play the following week. Although it probably, if you do the math, probably would be, but he'd be coming, jumping right back into it, basically. Yeah, he could come back by that Seattle game for Green Bay the week after because they play Kansas City this weekend. However, he wouldn't be allowed to practice before that game. He would literally have to jump right in that weekend. 
Um, and then if you were going to play against the Vikings at us bank stadium, obviously have to be cleared that week or weekend. So it's just another thing as the NFL turns, as it were, um, another drama in the NFC North, but, uh, the Vikings actually somehow they've had issues with Cameron Dantzler went on the COVID list, Harrison hand, um, you know, you knock on wood for them, but they've been somewhat fortunate with that and having a very unvaccinated team, at least in terms of their popular faces being unvaccinated with Dalvin cook. Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, none of those guys have yet to be affected by it. Certainly the way the Packers have, because they had Devontae Adams last week, and now they've got Aaron Rodgers this week uh, going on that COVID list. Um, Mike, all right, let's, let's open up the Twitter mailbag here, because we do have a lot of questions we can get to. Um, I should mention, though, it was odd to see. Did you see the news that Eric Wilson was released in Philadelphia? I did see that. That was, that was surprising to me. I, I, thought, uh, I thought he was... Uh... You know, I thought that he was going to be going to have a better run there. He was a he was a good player here for them. So, yeah, that was a surprise to me too. Maybe uh, maybe an old friend could wind back wind up back here. You never know. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see Eric Wilson end up back here just because the Vikings linebacker depth hasn't been great. They could always use a special teamer. And it was weird that Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach, was asked about cutting Eric Wilson, and he he cited special teams. He said he just didn't bring enough for us here in that phase. Cause he had lost his starting job as a linebacker for, for Philadelphia. Um, I think a lot of things can go into that. It can be, you know, just change of scenery, you know, not being around a coaching staff that you have respect or, or history with. And maybe he just wasn't giving it his all in those certain situations, or maybe he felt he graduated from that kind of a role, but it was weird to see Eric Wilson um, get released by Philadelphia. Um, all right, but we got a lot of Twitter questions we can get to here. Uh, thank you for sending those. You guys can find our Twitter handles at startribune.com or send them to our emails, whichever way you prefer. Um, but yeah, let's get into some questions here. Um, da, 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 da. We got one Wang Wu Watch. I like that name. He wants to know at this point, is it, is it reasonable to expect Mike Zimmer is still the Vikings head coach in 2022? Uh, ben, what do you think? Boy, I come in and uh, come in <laughs> right? hot here. <laughs> right? um, is it reasonable to expect he's still the coach? I, I think it's, it depends on how the season ends. I think if they make the playoffs, Sure. Yeah. It's reasonable to expect that. I, I tend to think they're going to have to make the playoffs for him to be back. And you look at where they sit, you look at the, the picture in the NFC and you look at the fact they're trying to do this now without Daniel Hunter. I think it's hard to try to pull that off, but yeah, if he's, if they make the playoffs and, and are competitive in the playoffs, I, I think there's a potential he's back. Um, I think it will take that much though. I, I think if there's another season here where they miss the playoffs, I don't, see them giving him another shot since the Minneapolis miracle uh, they are I think counting playoff games they are 29 27 and one so you know right around 500 they've been okay but when you've put this much of an investment into the roster into the quarterback into the practice facility into the stadium there's a lot of cash and a lot of kind of uh hope I guess it gets put behind that or expectations that come behind that we are investing to win at a certain level and if we're not doing that I, I think before too long here it, it's uh it's not going to continue so is it reasonable that he's still a coach yeah if they make the playoffs yes but otherwise I think probably not 
And I guess the question is, is it reasonable expectation that they would make the playoffs at three and four after losing to Cooper Rush? It would start with them stop blowing games, right? It would start with them stopping blowing games. And uh, Ben, Mike, and I talked a little bit about just them blowing these, uh, giving up touchdowns in these last three games in the final minute regulation. Um, What was some of the research you were doing for a story tomorrow just on what season that stacks up with in terms of, and it's not good. Spoiler alert. No, it's not. What, what season this stacks up with as far as blown leads go? Well, so they've blown three in the last minute or the last two minutes, I should say. And they did the same thing in 2020. They had they had three games there where they did it there, but that was three for the whole season. They're already in three in seven games here. And that is heading on a path where it parallels with 2013, where they did it five times. They blew five leads, I believe, all in the last minute, one of which went to overtime and turned into a tie in Green Bay. It was an awful game, if anybody remembers the Scott Tolzien versus Christian Ponder tie at Lambeau Field that year. Um, They they ended up losing that game in overtime, and they lost the other four in regulation. So the Vikings haven't lost as many of those games, in part because they have a better quarterback that's been able to bail them out in a couple of those occasions against Detroit and Carolina. But yeah, it, it is trending toward 2013 if they kept on that pace. And that, of course, was the season that got Leslie Frazier fired and opened the job up for Mike Zimmer. So um, if that's the path we're going down it's and, and you're taking your reputation on being a defensive coach, as Leslie Frazier did, as Mike Zimmer did, uh, not being able to hold leads at the end of games is not a great way to uh, back their reputation up. It is not. It is not. And going up against the Ravens, Chargers, and Packers in the next three, it certainly looks like a daunting uh, murderer's row of offenses. But if, if you can do what the Bengals somehow did to uh, Lamar Jackson, maybe you might have some shots. Um, More shots than Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, one, one statement here from somebody, uh, the mad counselor just says, I think any and all questions about the Vikings have been answered. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it kind of seems it like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Just shut it down. Um, ben, here's one for you. KJ asks, do you think Kellen Mond is making slow progress after Spielman was scouting out Carson Strong? And do you think the Vikings are looking at drafting a quarterback next year? You know, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, some of that might have just been general scouting, you know, going through the process and you got to see the quarterbacks of 2022. I, it's interesting in the sense that you only get so many of these Saturdays to go see players during the regular season. And the fact that they wanted to make a trip out to see him is, is probably worth, as I tweeted about it, worth filing away. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Mond probably has not made the type of progress that they were hoping for. I think if that were the case, Sean Manning would not be here. Um, they would have probably liked Mond to come in and be the backup. Not that it leads to a ton of snaps but it does probably lead to more reps in practice and allows you just to develop to develop him a little more specifically than they've been able to do so yeah I, I think it's worth um, worth keeping in mind certainly that they they went out to take a look at him and uh, I, I don't think the the progress from Mon has been such that you would sit there and say we're certain that this is our guy at any point in the near future 
Yeah, Rick Spielman was asked about Kellen Mond's development um, over the bye week, and he had just mentioned that 10-day COVID stay. Obviously, Mond unvaccinated, tested positive, got sick. Uh, we had heard he was symptomatic, and he was away from camp for 10 days. Um, Spielman had mentioned that as a reason why, to kind of just take him out for 10 days and then have to put him back in uh, like that was one of the reasons. But, of course, as we know, third-round picks, historically, these are not prospects that are going to come in and light the world on fire right away or if ever. Um, so he's he's got a, a hill to climb for sure um, when it comes to playing in the NFL. Um Brian wants to know, does Kirk Cousins have the authority to audible out of a run? He says, I have season tickets, and it doesn't look like it from where I'm sitting. <laughs> he, just um, does what the, he just does what the coaches say with timeouts, with play calls, everything like that. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because we've heard – I remember I asked Clint Kubiak. I talked with him a couple of weeks ago about just his flow as a play caller and all these things, and part of what I asked him was, um, does Kirk's input change or his control at the line of scrimmage entering this year and Clint said, yes, it's a, it's evolved. It has gotten more and that Kirk has been given more control in 2021 than he had in 2019 or 2020. Um, I don't know how much more though, Ben, because we, I, I watched a clip of Josh Allen and somebody broke this down where he basically like he saw a blitz coming and he basically like moved three pieces around. Like he brought the tight end this way. He brought the running back over here just to pick this blitz up. He basically did all the protection setting. I'm like, I've never seen a Viking quarterback in any of my years here do yeah. that. I've never seen that kind of uh, pre-snap, quick thinking, control, the ability to move pieces around like that. Like, that's just not an offense or a quarterback situation I'm used to seeing. So while the coaches here say Kirk has more control, I think it's fair to question how much he really has relative to quarterbacks around the league. Yeah, more control might be related to how much they've given him in the past. Like you say, that may not be that may be damning the faint praise in some ways. And it leads to the obvious question, how much of that is because they don't trust Kirk to do it? And how much of it is because they want to retain the control for themselves? I would tend to think, I mean, man, it, if you're paying a guy this much money, you should have enough trust that he at least knows how to operate the offense at the line of scrimmage. I, I think we could say what you want about his physical traits, um, and his ability to process things on the fly when the, when the snap actually happens and you got to make decisions in a split second. I would tend to think that given 10 years in the league, given the degree to which we know he studies that giving him enough control to orchestrate things before the snap is not a big reach. So it, I guess I would tend to think it's more of a philosophical thing of how they've handled it over the years, but uh, it's one of those questions that we're never going to have a full answer to. because They're just not going to tell us. So we have to kind of triangulate and, and figure things out as best we can. Yeah. I know I've seen certain situations where they will call if, if it's some kind of RPO, they do have a little bit of that mixed in where it'll be either a handoff or a quick, what they call a zero or smoke route where you just throw it directly to the wide receiver off to the side. Some of that gives Kirk some flexibility, but for instance, when they've got like a play action or like one of these bigger shot plays called, or they, if they have just a basic run called, I have no idea how much flexibility he has, nor yep. do, nor do we really see him adjusting things too often before the line or before the play, before the snap. So to me, it doesn't seem like relatively he has a ton when it comes to comparing him to other veteran quarterbacks. Yeah, you think about how much you yell when you hear guys like Aaron Rodgers yelling, hey, can, can, can. That's usually to kill a 
a play and say we're going to check to something else. Um, I don't know that you see that from Kirk quite as much. And, and that's one of those things you, you can try to pick up. At least you're not going to know exactly what the protection was or what they're changing or what they're checking to. Um, hand signals, that kind of stuff could be a check with me or you know a, a route adjustment, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, that is something you can pick up on the broadcast. So it's an interesting question. It's one of those yeah. things that if you're just watching at home, keep an eye on it because it's, it's kind of a fun thing to keep track of and it just helps you keep track of another nuance of the game, I think. Chuck wants to know, is Patrick Jones injured or when can we expect to see him? He's asking about the third round rookie defensive end who's yet to play a game for the Vikings. Um, it sounds like he's going to be coming back and playing soon. He was out there at practice on Wednesday, hurt his knee last week, which is why he was not active against the Cowboys. Um, but it seems like one of the draft picks by force is going to be getting out on the field out of necessity because, because they have to, uh, Mike, does that, do, you, do you check that one off as a draft pick that you might now see in the game because there's only been two or three of them so far? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's kind of a, a depth problem of their own making to a certain degree like we talked about earlier in the show because they certainly didn't have to trade Stephen Weatherly. Um, you know, Daniil Hunter, that's a bad break. But, you know, Weatherly hadn't been overly productive this year either in his limited time, so maybe that's not a, a tremendous loss. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's – probably by default more than anything. It's, you know, it's kind of like, do we, do we give them credit the year TJ Clemmings had to start at tackle because they didn't have anybody else? Was that a, was that a win for Rick Spielman's draft or was that just more because they had nobody else? Yeah. I do always like um, Ben, when we see the, the stats that get floated around of like, so-and-so team has gotten this much from their draft class in terms of playing time. It, it can be indicative. Not always uh, a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was going to say it can be indicative of, hey, these guys are contributing. It can also be indicative of we don't have anybody else. And TJ Clemmings is playing 600 snaps. Well, you remember that 2015? I mean, the 2015 draft on its own merits was fantastic for the Vikings. That, yes. That's the best draft of Spielman's time. It's, it's in a lot of ways still the last one where they had major contributions other than, you know, Justin Jefferson last year. And, and you're getting a little bit more out of KJ Osborne. That draft is, is still yielding some fruit, but 2015 was fantastic. It was Daniel Hunter. It was Eric Kendricks. It was Stefan Diggs. Uh, Trey Waynes was a starter for a couple of years there and in, in his first contract. But in that, those early years, it was, oh, they had TJ Clemmings too, and he's become a starting tackle. Yeah, that's not always, I mean, 2016 when they're signing Jake Long off the street, and that's the bar you're trying to clear, that's not a good thing. So the stats about they got this many snaps sometimes can be can cut both ways. Basically, sometimes what I'm trying to say is when the Vikings come out and rattle off stats, uh, it shouldn't always be taken at face value. We were (laughs) something to think about today. We were were talking about Zim getting uh, earlier. We were talking about Zim getting defensive with the stats that he rattled off. Uh, You guys look at stats way too much. (laughs) Offensively. How things look or how they are. Mike Zimmer, October 3rd. 2021. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I saw that as him trying to send a message of, you know, you yeah. only, you only want to ask about stats. So I'm only going to read you stats. Like that's what I took from him. Yeah. Um, it, it was a, it, to use a stat, it was him raising his hand at a 20% rate uh, of <laughs> a normal set of fingers, giving us 20% yeah. of it. 20% of the hand. Mm-hmm. Yep. The central 20% of the hand to be specific. Yeah, that's a, that's a great stat. I like that. Uh, Andrew, um, I, I had a, a related question from 
Daniel to that last one. What will it take for Wyatt Davis to get a chance in the starting lineup? We had talked about the struggles of their two guards. Where, where is, where's Wyatt Davis at? That's a great question. Um, yeah, nowhere, nowhere near the starting lineup, it would seem. Now, we don't get to watch practices, so admittedly, none of us have seen Wyatt Davis play football in quite some time. Um, so it's hard to sit here and tell you, hey, X, Y, and Z, this is why he's not out there. And, and really getting an honest answer has to come from behind the scenes. And right now, they still have belief, from what I can tell, that Garrett Bradbury can be their center and that Ezra Cleveland and Ole Udo can be their guards long-term. Now, the guards that's much more forgivable of why you would keep them out there. They're just starting their careers, but Bradbury, I don't know at what point you get to the point where you say, we, we got to try something different because this guy has been getting run over by nondescript defensive tackles. Guys who don't make much of impacts going into these games are making impacts against Garrett Bradbury teams know it too. When, at the end of the game, that Dallas game, uh, the 51 seconds left, Kirk's trying to come back. Um, we've seen this since 2018. Um, they moved their best pass rusher over center. Randy Gregory moved over center at the end of the game because they know I don't need to stop the run. I don't need to worry about Randy getting double teamed. I can just go after Garrett Bradbury. 2018, when John Filippo's Vikings went into New England, same thing with Trey Flowers. They moved Trey Flowers right over center pass rush, destroy Garrett Bradbury. At what point? That back then, I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah, was it? in 2018. Yeah. Oh, my bad. But it was the last the same. center. Same thing, really. <laughs> it wasn't even the same center. Oh, my bad. So anyway, what point are you going to realize? What point are you going to realize you got to put somebody else out there? And, and maybe it's just it's why. First of all, it's not Wyatt Davis because Wyatt Davis played some center in the summer. And I remember asking him after a practice when we saw it. I was like, "When's the last time you did that?" And he said, "It was a long time ago." Like I asked him, "Have you done that at Ohio State?" And he said, "Not really." And so I, they're not going to put him out there. And really, they don't have a bad. It's Mason Cole as their backup center. So. At this point, Wyatt Davis is only passed to the field, I think, is injury um, because they just don't have a good option right now. Cool. That's great. I'd <laughs> love to hear that. <laughs> I got an email question um, from Jeff who asked uh, – well, he asked two questions. He said, is it, who, who leads the team in missed tackles? And then he writes, hint 21, uh, meaning Brashad Breland. And then he said, do you think Zimmer's defensive scheme is becoming stale? That's a good question on the missed tackles. I'm actually going to look that up right now. Um, I do remember after about four or five games defensively, um, they led the league as a team in in missed tackles. Um, They killed them at the end of that Dallas game. I mean, if they make a tackle on Ezekiel Elliott, that game probably, at least they've got a much better chance of winning that game if they hold into a field goal there and have at the worst get into overtime. Well, and I remember too, uh, well, just today we heard from Andre Patterson talking about how that, that ridiculous bobbled catch by Amari Cooper should have been a game ending interception if Bashaw Breeland had just turned around. And this yeah. is, it was, it was his Chris Dish, it was his Chris Dishman moment. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't celebrating early, I don't think, but yeah, no, otherwise, yes. But uh, it was, uh, it reminded me of that all too much. And I was like, uh oh, I don't like the way this drive is going to end. I, yeah, I did think of Antonio Freeman when Cooper made that catch. I hadn't made the Breland-Chris Dishman uh, connection quite as much. But, uh, yeah, that's basically, basically played the same role. All right, so I got the tackle numbers a courtesy of Pro Football Focus. Bashad Breland does lead the Vikings in missed tackles with 10. Um, he has made only 34 tackles, missed 10. That's, that's a 
that's a bad rate. Eric it's like Kendricks. Vikings, it's like a Vikings kicker. <laughs> Didn't hear that one this morning. <laughs> Eric Kendricks has been tabbed with eight missed tackles. Uh, obviously, he's their leading tackler. Um, Nick Vigil with six, and then Patrick Peterson, Griffin with four. So uh, nobody else more than three outside of those five guys. But yeah, Breland and Kendricks have accounted for 18 of their missed tackles, and that is by far the lion's share uh, for two players. So not great to answer the question, um, which is just not something that's not like we're talking about characteristic, uncharacteristic issues with this defense, blowing games at the end, uncharacteristic missed tackles, uncharacteristic. If we're looking through the years of Mike Zimmer defenses here. Um, and so it's just, it's stuff that's not really excusable. This is, it's stuff that the foundation and core. And I, Ben, I thought it was interesting. Andre Patterson was talking about how, we have guys that have been here when we closed games. Like we have veterans who were here and remember it wasn't all too long ago. We have them here when we used to be able to close games and they just don't have that culture, that mentality, um, that, that same group on defense. It, it seems like from the coaching staff, they've realized they've lost what was a kind of foundation and backbone for this team. Yeah. In the case of Harrison Smith and Everson Griffin, they go back far enough to remember when they weren't close games too. That's well, true. I think that was the year Harrison Smith had turf toe that second year in the league. But um, yeah, that, that has not been the problem for a long time. In fact, I, I'm looking this up today from 14 to 19, they blew five leads in the last two minutes, I think. in 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 that six years, which is awfully good. Um, six in the last two years. So more in the last two years than in the first six under Zimmer. And we're only halfway. We're not, ha we're not even halfway through the season. So yeah, very uncharacteristic stuff for them. All right. We got a question here from number one, my chemical romance fan account. So it's the mood jibes with Vikings Twitter right now. Everyone can admit that Mike Zimmer isn't working out. Would it be smart to hire a former gunslinger Vikings quarterback as his replacement who could maybe even still play? Um, I mean, Brett, what do you think? Uh, I mean, the, the NFL's rules on player coaches uh, need to be updated, but <laughs> if they call me, I know I could play. Would I, would I play? Maybe, but I know uh, I could play. Could I coach? I was an offensive coordinator in Mississippi. I know uh, if I was the, if I was a head coach, if I was the offensive coordinator, we wouldn't be checking down. If I could told John Gruden, <laughs> I'd be thinking one thing. Home run. <laughs> so, Kirk, um, get back there and sling it. You got to bring in Bonita as your play caller. Bonita. So get Bonita. <laughs> get uh, the, the memory of Big Irv to, to go run the ball occasionally. But when, uh, when it's third down, we're thinking home run. <laughs> Be the Brett Favre offense in Minnesota. Ben, good. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. I had a, I want to go back one one. Uh, I don't want to diminish the Favre impression because that was fantastic. I want to go back. Did, correct me if I'm Stretch wrong. Me a little bit. Could, correct me if I'm wrong. Did didn't the Vikings in both of their playoff wins blow a late lead and get bailed out by the offense? Or am I am I wrong about the second Saints win? Um, certainly they blew a late lead in the first one and got bailed out by the offense. Uh, they blew a 17 nothing lead at halftime in that one. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think of the same. I think so. I can't remember how that game that there was like a Dalvin. It was a fumble. Wasn't there that I think everybody thought was going to end the game and then rolled them down. Um, 
I can't remember how that game got into overtime, but yeah, I am. Uh, I'm looking it up right now because just out of yeah. curiosity, Vikings to... were up 20 to 10 going into the fourth quarter and the saints Good scored grief. 10 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. The saints mm-hmm. continue to drop. Oh no. They got the ball to start the fourth March down the field, eight plays, 85 yards, scored a touchdown. And then at the very end um, with under two minutes to go, sounds familiar. They got the ball um, down 20 to 17, the Saints were, and they marched down the field seven plays, 39 yards, and, and got it. And in part because they gave up a punt return that brought the Saints to the 40-yard line. So, yeah, they they blew it right at the end. And Kirk Cousins was sacked on third and 19 at the end of the fourth quarter. That helped put them in that good field position. So, And then um, coin flip. And then the coin flip, they got the ball, and Kirk uh, put the team on his back, as it were, went back and won the game. Um, let's end here with it's like each. former Vikings receiver Greg Jennings. <laughs> That's right. Hot like the Madden thing where he hobbled with a broken leg all the way to yeah. the end. Um, chicken fingers Rocking statement running with a broken leg. <laughs> no, chicken, I could put the chicken on my back. Chicken fingers statement of the week. Put or, Greg on my back a couple times. It's more like a question. He wants to know Xavier Woods has been a bright spot in the secondary. He has a one year contract. The Vikings have no depth at the position. He seems to be a prime candidate for a contract extension. Should we read into the lack of that as a referendum on Rick Spielman's long-term job status? Um, I you think knew he, chicken, you knew chicken fingers would find a way to, kick, to connect Xavier Woods to his guy, Rick. I like, yeah, I like these stretch he's going to just to get us to talk about Rick Spielman's job status. Um, I, yeah, obviously I don't think that's any kind of referendum because they just don't do in-season contract extensions, but um, Ben, we've talked about this before. I mean, I would have to imagine that, I guess I would have to imagine that Rick Spielman's job status is only in question if the Wilfs get to the end of this road and decide, you know what, we just we need to totally clean house. And it might have to look really bad for that to happen. Yeah, I guess the question is, if they fire Mike Zimmer, do you want Rick Spielman's picking the next coach? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, my sense has been Rick Spielman's had a fairly large hand in some of the offensive coordinator moves. Uh, certainly had a large hand in the John DiFilippo move, which did not work out. Um, probably in part because that was just oil and water with Mike Zimmer. But yeah, I I would think, man, it if you're keeping Spielman and you're firing Zimmer, you're I guess effectively saying we have enough talent to win. It's just not being coached well enough. But you know, it, at that point, it's you've had ten years as the GM. And you've had what two playoff wins in that time? Um, three since it's been the organization. So yeah, it would seem like a lot, but I suppose it's possible. He's very tight with ownership, so I suppose it's possible. Yeah, it's a good question too about the would, would the Wilfs trust him to make that next decision, considering he has had a hand has had a hand in coaching decisions that haven't worked out. And Mike Zimmer, I guess it, it depend on after eight years, whether or not, if this were the end, whether or not you said it worked out or not. Um, but there's going to be plenty to talk about, plenty of this to chew on as the last two months of this season progress and as the Vikings march toward it. You can follow all of our work at startribune.com and we will be talking That's three. to you. Super Bowl, homeboy. Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to cut off that playoff month. Um, last three months of the season, but we'll be here to cover it all, no matter what happens for you uh, at accessvikingsandstartribune.com. We will talk to you next from M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>